Good morning, and welcome to San Diego First Church of the Nazarene. My name is Matt Wilson. I'm one of the pastors on staff, and it is so good to be with you this morning. We're going to change just a few things up on you this morning, and I'm going to give you some important announcements right now. And that is, yes, we come together this morning to gather, to lift up Christ, and the rest of the service, we are going to be doing that. But first, I want you to know what's going on in the life of our church. And the first is this, we'd love to know that you're here. So if you have your smartphone, you can take that out. You can hover that over the screen or on the bulletin. It's just a way for you to let us know that you're here. But it's also a way for you to let us know if you have any prayer requests that you have, anything uh, going on in your life that you'd like your pastoral staff to know about. So this is a great way for you to communicate with us in a confidential way. Second thing I'd love to point out to you is that we have a big event coming up at the beginning of February. It's our Galentine's event, February 9th from 6.30 to 9. Uh, this is going to be held at Shannon Heffernan's house. More details can be found uh, on the website uh, and in the email that is sends out every Friday. In addition to this, we have coming up in just in a few weeks, our Wednesday nights are coming back, dinners and uh, kid you and adult you. We have so much going on in the life of our church on Wednesday nights, starting at 6.30. Dinner though starts at 5.30 and we'd love for you to be a part of that. And then lastly, our uh, big push is going to be pickleball. We got pickleball coming back every other Thursday night. Uh, please come to the gym 6 to 8.30. If you feel like you have no idea what pickleball is, but you just want to join with other people and hang out, that's totally great. Come join us. We can teach you everything you need to know about pickleball. There are experts in the room that can help you. There's generous coaching, or if you want to be a little bit more competitive, you're welcome to come too. But this is a time for us to come and fellowship together. At this time, I'd love to prepare our hearts and minds for worship. We're gonna to read together Psalm, uh, I've just lost which Psalm it is. It's gonna come up on the screen. Psalm, oh, Psalm 41 from our lectionary. 40, thank you. Thanks, Austin. Let's uh, read in responsively Psalm 40, one through nine, or excuse me, one through 11. I waited patiently for the Lord and he inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the desolate pit out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. Read with me. He put his new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Happy are those who make the Lord their trust, who do not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after false gods. Were I to proclaim and tell of them, they would be more than I could be counted, than can be counted. Then I said, here I am in the scroll of the book. It is written of me. I delight 
to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great great congregation. I see I have not restrained my lips as you know, O Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us continue in worship. If you are able to, let's stand together. Come before God with grateful hearts this day. We sing of God's love. What is this love that won't relay? That's calling out with heaven's breath. Who's reaching wide to save our souls? Only you. grace that makes no sense that we can never recompense who gives us all a second chance only you only you only you there is no one like our God the creator this day who hung the stars upon the night and told the sun how bright to shine who spoke the world within their hands only you who set the sky upon the hills and told the water to be still who spoke to form the universe only you only you only you lift your voice there is no one like our God 
Amen. Amen. Now in days like these, we are able to give God praise, right? So easily because we've seen the coming of Christ and we've seen the resurrection of Christ. But let us remember this part of the story of Jesus's coming. Jesus was in the world and the world came into being through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own and his own people did not accept him. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God, who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh or the will of humanity, but of God. Let us come into prayer together and let us reflect on the nature of Christ that was rejected, that was suffering for us. God, we approach you this day with grateful hearts that we're given simply shelter, a place to come into that's dry. We give thanks for the things that we have yet noticed in our lives that come from you. And God, we reflect on what you went through for us. We reflect on the grace poured out for us. In the face of rejection, Lord, you showed peace, you showed hope. And God, we are grateful and thankful to be able to see God's love for us through you, Jesus. We come to you in worship and adoration, God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's sing. Worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. We live for you. Oh, sing Jesus. Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever save. You're worthy, Lord, worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Oh, we live for you. Cry out, holy, holy. There is no one like you. There is none besides you. Open up my eyes in wonder and show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those around me. We sing worthy. Holy name of Jesus, 
At this point, we are going to pray for our children and our youth as they are dismissed to their own church programming. Would you join me in praying this over our kids? This is my prayer for you, our children, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best May you be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Amen. Amen. Kids, youth, y'all are dismissed. We're going to be continuing in worship this morning as we turn our prayers to the world, God's creation. Our thoughts and our prayers about family, about coworkers, about neighbors and the various contexts in which we inhabit. And the events of our city, our state, our nation and our world, they accompany us as we enter into worship this morning. And so let us as a community raise our prayers as one voice to the Lord. So these prayers that I will read, these have been lifted up from our midst. They come from those who tell us about what's going on in our life, as well as those we've solicited for prayer. What have they been praying this week? So I will read a short prayer 
that will be offered. And I'll conclude my prayer with the phrase, these are the prayers of our hearts. And we will all respond together, Lord, hear our prayers. There will be a moment of quiet before we turn to the next prayer. So let us join together in prayer today. Lord, we lift up our brothers and sisters in Christ who have been afflicted with various ailments. For those in our congregation who are undergoing surgery or recovery, we pray for your healing presence with them and the nurses and the physicians who tend to them. We also pray for those who have not returned to our midst that they might know that they are loved and prayed for. Lord, these are the prayers of our hearts. Lord, hear our prayers. Lord, we lift up the college students who live just next door to us and have just returned from Christmas break. We pray that this would be a transformative semester for them, that they might listen for your calling in their life as they seek knowledge. Grant the administrators and faculty wisdom as they continue to form the lives of these students. Lord, these are the prayers of our hearts. Lord, hear our Lord, we lift up those who continue to suffer from war and political unrest. We pray that your peace might be sought in Ukraine, in Brazil, and Iran. Curb those who do violence in the pursuit of power and comfort the afflicted. Aid those who desire truth, wholeness, and justice. Lord, these are the prayers of our hearts. Lord, hear our prayers. Lord, we lift up those family and friends who do not know your love and grace. We pray that you might in your mysterious ways and timing intercede into their lives, intercede into the lives of those who are far off from you, that they might come to know the new life that accompanies your love and your forgiveness. Grant us discernment and patience as we directly or subversively minister to those in need of your love. These are the prayers of our hearts. Lord, hear our prayers. Lord, continue to shape us and form us as a committee or a community dedicated to your love and grace, embodying it in each of the places that we inhabit, not only today, but for the rest of this week. We pray all of these things in your name. Amen.
give me vision to see things like you do. God, I look to you. You're where my help comes from. Give me wisdom. You know just what to do. And I will love you, Lord, my strength. And I will love you.
it. I'm gonna invite out D to read Isaiah 49 for us today. Thanks, Austin. Thanks, Praise Band. And thanks, all of you, for uh, sharing together in worship and connecting through our praise to what God is doing in our midst. The passage reading for this morning is uh, coming out of Isaiah chapter 49, verses 1 through 7. I'll be reading out of the New International Version. Isaiah chapter 49, verses 1 through 7. Listen to me, you islands or coastlands. Hear this, you distant nations. Before I was born, the Lord called me. From my birth, he has made mention of my name. He made my mouth like a sharpened sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me into a polished arrow and concealed me in his quiver. He said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will display my splendor. But I said, I have labored to no purpose. I have spent my strength in vain and for nothing. Yet what is due me is in the Lord's hand, and my reward is with God. And now the Lord says, he who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him and gather Israel to himself, for I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has been my strength. He says, it is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. This is what the Lord says, the Redeemer and Holy One of Israel, to whom, to him who was despised and abhorred by the nations, to the servant of rulers, kings will see you and arise. Princes will see you and bow down because of the Lord, who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel, who has chosen you. This is the word of the Lord. Before we jump into this passage um, and dig a little bit deeper, I want to follow up on what we talked about last week. For those who weren't here, the brief summary is that uh, in uh, the first Sunday after Thanksgiving, the first Sunday of Advent, we started a new three-year cycle, the journey through the lectionary, a collection of readings that carry us with four readings each week for, um, for four years, pardon me, for three years, and the readings will come from the Old Testament, will come from Psalms and the Prophets and the Pentateuch, depending on what the selection is for that given week. The New Testament readings will always have one from the Gospel and then one from some other place in the New Testament. And so we kind of followed through with Advent readings without saying much about this, but last week. We have invited everyone who is with us weekly, once a month, once a year, that when you're here, you might consider joining in, not just on Sunday morning, but might consider digging deeper into these patches, passages that take us into um, all of the corners of Scripture. It doesn't cover every Scripture passage, but it certainly takes us into all the different genres 
and the portions of the word that help us to understand the faith in a large picture, big story way. To that end, um, Matt Wilson has worked extensively to help give us a devotional guide that we can use through the course of the week. Sunday falls in the middle of the scriptures that we're studying and that we're going from Wednesday to Tuesday. So, we've been looking at these passages, for those who are following along, since Wednesday. Sunday morning, we try and go a little bit deeper, give a little bit more background, ask a few more questions, push us on in this journey, with some follow-ups on Monday and Tuesday, and then we start again. And the following Wednesday, the scriptures will be found in the bulletin on our website in various places, but we have a wonderful devotional guide. This takes us now through the month of February. You can find it back by the hub. Um, I've already gone through this week and love what Matt has done in attempting not only to take us deeper into these passages and offer some questions that we might ask, but also encouraging us to do some devotional disciplines, different ways by which we can read, reflect, consider. So this is gonna be available to us. It will be out there. You can pick up one up on the way out. Um, we'll have them, this covers, as I said, from now through the end of February, and then we'll move into the second quarter of this year. In addition to that, you might have seen in the email that went out this week, that we are doing two audio pieces if that's how you enjoy learning. On our website or on Apple Podcasts, you can um, look up SDFC Podcasts and you will find that on Thursdays we put kind of a, um, it's not initial review, help me Matt, what's it called? First Impressions. First, first impressions. Thank you. A dialogue between Matt and myself of what we see when we look at the passage. I have to confess, I was a little too wordy this week. The one that came out on Thursday, a little bit longer than they normally will be. I think it was 18 minutes long. Um, but it was just, I had so many first impressions. I could not stop. And Matt had some as well. And between the two of us, we um, had a tough time bringing it to closure. We'll try and make it a little more succinct, succinct as the uh, weeks unfold. And then um, as it works out with particular passages on Tuesdays, we will try and have connecting points where the Sunday morning message connects to the other scripture passages. It's a long introduction to just say, please join in with us. We'd love to do this journey together in community as we learn and grow from one another. This particular passage this week, Isaiah 49, comes in a series of passages from Isaiah in a portion of this book that seems to make its focus on the Israelite people at the end of their Babylonian captivity. As I've said before, Isaiah invites us into the use of our imagination a prophetic or spiritual imagination that begins to think and dream about what will be. Maybe in part it's what could be. Not unrealistic pie in the sky, but in some ways, yeah, beyond my own resources, bigger than I am, 
a storyline that's uh, larger than my few years. It's an invitation to dream about the future and then how that might affect how I dream about today. Because if I get my mind set on something that pulls me into the future, it changes the decisions that I make this afternoon, tonight, tomorrow morning. I'd like to jump to the end of this message, just in case I lose all of you before this ends. I'm going to get the, the big piece out right away. Uh, it's, it's in the passage where God speaks to the servant. And in verse 6, God says, It is too small a thing for you to be my servant and restore the tribes of Jacob. So here's the idea. I'm going to bring you up out of Babylon. I'm going to take you back to the promised land. I'm going to regather the remnant that remains. That's the vision. And then God says, but that vision is way too small. You think you're doing good with visioning the future? Yeah, you're kind of in kindergarten. I want you to start thinking bigger because that verse concludes by saying, I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. I'm thinking way too small. The possibilities are far bigger than I ever considered. I don't know where our imagination begins. I have the feeling that it begins in the womb. There's reference here that you began to form me in the womb. And we have scientific evidence that we dream in the womb. The rapid eye movements that are associated with the dreaming stage of sleep that we know of while we are growing up and adults. We know we're in that dream state often because of what's called REM sleep, the rapid eye movements. Well, those rapid eye movements have been observed in infants in the womb. It's part of what prepares the brain in a variety of ways. More science later. But for now, just a statement that says, Dreaming begins while we're still in the womb. There is something inherent about our humanity that that becomes part of our identity and actually gives us not only a way by which to process what has happened in our day, but a way by which to begin to envision and prepare us for what might come. There is a strong belief that the dreaming that takes place in the womb is connected to preparation for those things that become dangerous or appropriate things to fear or be cautious of when we are born and now in a world that's not quite as friendly. That doesn't change as the years pass. What I love here is this invitation to not only dream, not only dream at night, but to dream while awake. Not only to dream while awake, but to recognize your dreams might be far too small. 
I spent my pre-K, kindergarten, first and second grade years in Cleveland. Cleveland is a bit colder than here in San Diego. And I don't know if you've spent much time in that kind of cold, but it's the kind of cold that when you breathe in, your nostrils just stick together, because it's so cold, it's like they freeze somehow. I don't know that they actually do, but it's just this strange feeling. It's the kind of cold that you need something over your ears, because the tip of your ears just start turning red and get very chilly. Your nose runs for no reason at all. You don't have a cold, it, there's no illness. Your nose just starts leaking. I'm not sure why that's the case. It is a place and a time where you bundle up, and when it snows, and it's not too overwhelming, it's like a kid's paradise. Running the snow drifts and digging out forts and finding the creative things to do with this water that's turned into crystals that's become play material. I am not exactly sure why my dad decided this particular winter to take on this project, but I think it's that my dad had a way of dreaming. He grew up in Detroit, another very cold place, he grew up down on Ohio Street, and um, Detroit is somewhat fanatic about their hockey. There are certainly other sports teams, the Detroit Tigers baseball, the Detroit Lions football, the Detroit Pistons basketball, but unlike many cities in Detroit, the Red Wings were pretty much the team that uh, carried the attention of the city on many occasions. My dad, when he was a kid, played hockey in his backyard. And I don't know if that contributed to the vision that he had when I was a little kid, but we lived in a duplex on a corner in Seven Hills, a suburb of Cleveland. The only thing connecting the duplex were the carports. One carport had a driveway that went down to one street. Our carport went down the hill to another street. And the backyard was kind of a common backyard. I don't actually think it was ours. I think we had the smaller portion, but there was nothing that divided this backyard that was shared between the two of us. Billy White was the neighbor that lived in that one. Ellen Fedock on the other side and her older two brothers. And my dad, after a big snowfall, I don't know who he cleared it with, if he went to the neighbor and asked, I don't know how it happened, but he went out and spent hours and hours and hours pushing snow off to the edges of the property until there was a bank all the way around, something that seemed enormous to me, and he got a hose and hooked it up to a faucet and started spraying down in the middle of all of that and for hours began to fill up this area with water on a night where there was no wind, and it just resulted in this wonderful, neighborhood-loving backyard rink that we had for months. Come home from school, you'd drop your books, you'd put on your skates, you'd bundle up, put something around your neck, and go out to the skating rink. It was magical. I don't think I ever played hockey out there. 
I just was trying to learn how to skate. I'd fall and fall and fall and fall. My parents were patient with me, my sister not so much, but I learned how to skate in that backyard skating rink. My dad would tell me of the times that he, as a kid, had a place that they sprayed down with water in Detroit, and there would be these epic hockey games in the backyard behind his house on Ohio Street. He'd talk about how they'd go after each other, the goals that they'd set up, all makeshift. And one time when we were in Detroit, I begged my dad to take me down to his house on Ohio Street. Forget why we were there. I think we were visiting somebody. We drove down to Ohio Street in a wonderfully diverse neighborhood, a small little house, and as we walked up the driveway, the owner, a wonderful lady, peeked her head out the door and said, can I help you? She was a little skeptical, because it didn't look like we fit in the neighborhood. We weren't very familiar. And my dad said, I actually grew up in your house, and uh, my boy was wanting to see the backyard hockey rink where we played. And she said, sure, help yourself. So generous of her. And we walked out in the backyard. And I, I don't know how to describe the moment. But my dad looked around, and I could tell that even he was taken off a little bit by the sight of the backyard and where he remembered these epic hockey games being played. Because the size of the space between the garage that was still there and the fence that was still there was maybe no more than two or three size, times the size of this platform. And when I say platform, I'm not referring to this. I'm referring to this little square space here. And maybe two more of these, no more than that was the site of epic hockey matches <laughs> that rivaled the Red Wings in Detroit. My dad just smiled, and I was stunned. How could the things that my dad described happen in this little space? I don't think he was stretching the stories, though he may have. I just think he ignited my imagination. And his imagination led to the rink that was back behind my yard, my house. And who knows, it may not be nearly as big as the Olympic size that I envision right now of what I was out on when I was in kindergarten. I've not been back to that house since grade school. But there's something that happens when we are free to imagine. And it begins to change how we live. Stay with me as we come back to this passage. This passage is similar to what we looked at last week where we have, as I mentioned last week, four songs that happen in this span from chapter 42 to chapter 52. The song in chapter 42, this one here in 49, one in 50, and one in 52. And one of the beautiful connecting points that I think is that 
last week in 42, verse 10, that was right after where we were in the reading. It said, so let us sing a new song. I don't know if you noticed the Psalm 40 reading. Verse 3 of Psalm 40 says, and God has placed in our hearts a new song. And I would propose that 49 is an invitation to start imagining a new song. But let's talk about that. What's the circumstance right here? The people have been in captivity. The promise is restoration. But I want you to pause for a moment before you put a period at the end of those two statements. It's powerful to believe that captivity is not the end of the story. Let me make it more practical. That your circumstances that are so frustrating to you are not the end of the story. That your work situation, your environment that drives you nuts is not the end of the story. That a broken relationship is not the end of the story. That the issues that seem challenging, the health that's been overwhelming, the place where you find yourself and it feels like there's no future. The promise in this passage is captivity is not the end of the story. But I also want you to hear this. Restoration is not the end of the story either. And that feels like the dream we have. The dream is restoration that the tribe of Judah might come together, that the tribes, the remnant, remnant might come back together in the promised land, and we will be restored. And very clearly here, God says to the servant, oh, your vision, you're really not even close. Restoration is not the end of the story. The message to Abraham was, and you will be blessed so that all nations through you might be blessed. Oh, you'll be blessed so that others might be blessed. You'll be restored so that you might have a hand in the restoration of others. Oh, you'll be touched by God, but it's so that through you the resources that are poured out on you might somehow become the means by which they can be poured out on others. Restoration is not the end of this journey. It's one more stop, one more moment, one more part of the vision that God wants us to hold on to. In this holiday weekend, I've been drawn and have read through it all again. The amazing speech of MLK Jr., I Have a Dream. I think what stands out to me over and over in that speech, one is so short, so powerful, <laughs> is that there is a dream, a vision that begins with something that seems so simple yet is so hard. And then moves from the very practical of my family to the dream of a nation, to the dream of a world, to a dream of the kingdom of heaven. I know you've heard parts of it before. 
but he speaks of a dream that says, I dream that my four children will live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. A dream for my family. that compels me to live a certain way in my nation. That takes me to a place that dreams of a world where the kingdom of heaven descends from heaven. Oh, could my dreams be too small? Could I dream bigger? I love that he borrows from scripture when he speaks speaks about the rough places being made plain, the valleys being lifted up, the mountains being brought low. It is a recognition that none of this happens by my own strength. It's through God and God alone. And here's what I find so poignant about this Isaiah message. It seems the servant has no idea how this is all going to come to pass. Doesn't have it all figured out. Doesn't have a five-part plan with three points under each one. The, the, the servant, in fact, says, it seems like all I've done is in vain. And can I just propose, if we spend enough time in Scripture, we will find that God over and over again chooses people that make no sense. Thanks be to God. That may be the best news of the, mo of the morning. He chooses often no-name people in no-name positions with virtually no resources. And then there are times where it may be a person who has some of this but not of this, or some of this over here but not the other. Lest anyone should boast, God always makes it clear that it's by God's strength alone. In fact, it's not... What a servant does, it's what God does through the servant. It's not what Israel will do, called by name in this passage, as the servant. It's not what Israel will do to restore the nations. It's what God does when Israel surrenders to God's work. And the same is true for us. It's not that we transform the world, it's when we surrender to God that the world becomes transformed in ways we never thought possible and often didn't even see coming. Because in the midst of this, God says, do you not see what I'm doing? Ah, oh, you probably don't. But I'm bringing about my purposes. And I invite you to dream bigger than you're dreaming right now, a hockey rink that seemed larger than an Olympic-sized rink, uh, a vision, a dream of matches that rivaled the NHL finals, uh, a dream a dream of what it might be like to respond in kindness to anger and hostility. 
a dream to be a safe place for people to try. A dream to stand up for what's right and not worry about what will happen when one stands up for what's right. And in the midst of not always knowing what God is up to, I'd like to make one more suggestion for us. I'm not sure at all that it's wise to judge what we do now by what it looks like when a dream comes to pass or even a portion of a dream. You see, I think there is something inherent about living into the dream that changes today and makes today far more worthwhile than if we lived into no vision of a future. It seems to me that's what is being proclaimed at the very end of this passage. That you are servant, though you think you're despised, there are kings that will fall prostrate, there are princes that will stand up, there are others who will see what's taking place in you and honor God at work. And can I just ask, what's better? To live every day worried about the circumstances that are hard? Or to live every day with a dream and a vision of what I think just might come to pass if I live as if it's coming to pass? If I live as if God's kingdom is coming to earth and God's will will be done on earth just as it is in heaven, and that's the decision I make this morning to live that way, isn't that in and of itself an amazing way to live? Living into vision, into the dream, and when it doesn't seem to be going real well, it's okay to complain. It's what the servant does. God, this looks like it's a waste of my time. I feel like my life, I've lived in vain. I feel like nothing's going anywhere. And God says, <laughs> yeah, I know you feel that way. Let's revisit the dream. And then for the servant to be bolstered by the Spirit of God to live this day as if that vision is coming to pass. And it may be beyond our lifetime or it may be tomorrow. But that vision, God-inspired and God-blessed, will be brought to pass by God's work. So the invitation to the table for the disciples is really an invitation to dream big. I mean, they are hours away from Christ being crucified. Talk about a blow to the dream. But Jesus says, come to the table. Come to the table and don't let your eyes discourage your heart. 
Don't let your ears ruin your dream. Instead, come to the table and let's dream together. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, the disciples had come together and met around the table and it was a feast. Jesus had tried to plant in them a vision and a dream that would survive circumstances. A hope and a vision that would push past all of the hardships, the suffering, and the difficulties. And the invitation was, oh, come. Come and let's do this together. I send one to be with you, to abide in you, that you might share in the vision of restoration, of wholeness, of freedom, of peace. Oh, let's dream together. We practice open communion here. It's an invitation to all who would like Jesus to be Lord and to cast inside of you a dream of a future and a hope. It's not a request that you've done anything to earn God's grace. It's just a desire to receive God's grace. In a few moments, we'll have our servers come to these locations. Come forward and take and bread in single container and take it back to your seat and hold it. If for some reason you can't make it forward, just raise your hand and our servers will see you, catch their eye, and we will serve you wherever you are at. I'm going to offer a prayer and then invite our servers to come forward. Lord, the poetry, the beauty, the vision, the majesty of this passage an invitation that seems to apply to today, wherever we find ourselves. Help us not to be deceived that difficult circumstances, suffering or pain is the end of the storyline. We are attaching ourselves to a storyline that's bigger than us, but yet transforms us now. And restoration or blessing or whatever may come that feels like you've poured out on us is not the end of the story either, Lord. For we've been called to be restorers ourselves. Grace givers. Forgivers. So Lord, as you've invited us to the table, may this be a moment where our imagination is captured by your spirit and we begin to think of a vision for our family, for our journey, for our resources, for our church, for our city, nation, and world. Work in us, Lord. Transform our thinking, I pray. Amen. I invite the ushers to come forward.
Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ within me, Christ below me, Christ above me, Christ be with me. I am my right hand, I am my of grace is Jesus my Redeemer. There is no more for heaven now to give. He is my joy, my righteousness and freedom, my steadfast love, my deep and boundless peace. To this I hold, my hope is only for my life is wholly bound to Him. Oh, the strange and divine, I can sing all is mine, yet not I, but through Christ. and rejoicing for in my need his power is displayed to this I hold my shepherd will defend me through the deepest valley he will lead oh the night has been won and I shall
Is there anyone who desired to have the elements served to them and just weren't able to? Anyone? Wonderful. If you would take the piece of bread out of the container. This was the night he was betrayed that Jesus met with the disciples. Mm. Trying to cast a vision at this point in time. He takes the circumstances that become so overwhelming in so many ways. But he says to the disciples, this is my body. It's broken for you. We do this in remembrance of our Lord. Please take and eat. In a similar fashion, he took the cup said, this is my blood poured out for you. It is the blood of the new covenant. It is for us life. Take and drink in remembrance of our Lord. Oh Lord, we thank you. May just as the juice and the wafer linger on our palate, may your grace linger in our hearts. May it be the way through which we navigate our world. May it lead us to dream even bigger dreams. May it invite us and to not only being recipients of grace, but help us, Lord, to find ways to be purveyors of your love, workers of restoration and reconciliation. May the resources you've entrusted to us become the means by which others receive good news and help and begin to dream themselves. We thank you, Lord, and praise your wonderful name. Amen. Stand together and sing. No feet I try, I know I am forgiven. The future short, the price it has been paid. For Jesus bled and suffered for my part. And he was raised to overthrow the grave. To this I hold, my sin has been defeated. Jesus now and ever is my peace. Oh, the chains are released. I can sing, I am free at night.
Thanks for joining together this morning. You may notice that in the middle of the service, we did not do passing the peace. I'm going to ask that we conclude with passing the peace, that you might greet one another. You might, as you see somebody, dream big dreams for them, with them, about them. May you say peace to you to several people before you walk out these doors. And this blessing, may God's face shine on you. May God's spirit pour through you. May you recognize it's not on you. It's Christ through you. And because of that, we have the freedom to dream big. Go in the dream that God has for you. God bless you. Have a great week.